coming to you from Podcast Detroit. It's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. And for future episode information and additional content, head over to HerdPodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at HerdPodcast. Welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Today, it's me, Joe, and I am with Jason and Dave. Ahoy, ahoy. Tonight is Fat Tuesday, so we're going to be talking about Poonchki, and then we're going to delve into our backgrounds a little bit, uh, talk about the Hungry Dudes, talk about the Detroit Optimist Society, uh, the uh, Sugar House. Wright and Company, Peterborough, all of that, and and Jason's part of that. But your background Certainly as well, a part Jason. Of that. Yeah, absolutely, uh, an important part. And so, let's get started with Poonchki because it's Fat Tuesday. Uh, I traveled a little bit today to um, procure these Poonchki. Uh, the first stop I made was at Parks and Rec down in the uh, uh, Guardian of the Republic. Guardian of the Republic is that what uh, Guardian of the Guardian Army of the Republic? Something of the Grand Army of the Republic. Grand Army of the Republic. There we go. Really great building. Great Actually, building. That, it was like uh, Civil War veterans. Yeah. that was like their uh, their their gathering spot. Yeah, it was, it's a pretty amazing building. Um, back in the day, it's like, not it's recently. What everyone knows day. is the castle on Grand River. Yeah, outside of downtown. Um, so Parks and Rec's diner inside of there, uh, connected to the Republic tavern and uh they did uh four poonchkis i only was able to get three one the verner's one was sold out Ugh. uh so i have for us tonight uh lemon poppy seed uh something called cinefetti uh which i believe is like a cinnamon birthday cake hmm. and then uh looks like some type of chocolate uh cacao nibs on top wow uh and then i went to a uh well i should say i stopped in hamtramck um and made the mistake of going to Hamtramck. I was going to say, how bad was that? <laughs> uh, so I uh, went to New Palace, and there was a line at least 100 deep uh, going around the corner, uh, and also uh, Mar- Martha Washington? I don't know. Uh, the, the, I forgot the other name. The, the other place had a line 50 deep. Jeez. Um, and, and these were the two main places. I stopped at Shrodex as well, and they were sold out. Um, so... Then I traveled down to a place called uh, Shane Modern Bakery in Warrendale, which is kind of on the border of uh, Dearborn and Detroit. Mm, and, they, and they had uh, hmm. they had some. They have uh, they had about ten flavors. Four were sold out. I got the other six: apricot, lemon. Uh, uh, looks like blueberry. Oh, I asked for prune, but didn't get it. They got so I got prune. Mm, yeah, no prune. Favorite. Uh, prunes. Prune is the uh, 
I guess the traditional flavor. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. You got to get those prunes out <laughs> to help um, with all the carb loading. That's right. And, uh, and so I guess there's, uh, so apricot, lemon, blueberry, strawberry, uh, custard and cream, some type of cream. Um, so kick ass. Uh, these are, this is comprises about, uh, 40,000 calories of Poonchki. I like it. Um, and we are going to try them all. Great. Can we first all. do a shot of this Italian Swiss colony brand American sherry? Yeah. So, uh, we should shout out our compatriot, Nick Britsky. He couldn't be here tonight, but did leave us a gallon of sherry with the price tag still attached of $4.50 for the whole the gallon. blowout price. It's a blowout it's price. A, it's a closeout price. They have the hours of operation on the label. So that's, that's a quality <laughs> operator right there. Yeah. Just in case you're ever in wherever the fuck this is from. Vermont. I don't I, know. I, I can. I like. I is it Naples, Italy? Florida. Is it a colony. This, Naples, no. Florida. This smells like the the it's, shit that my grandfather yeah. used to drink when I was growing up. He would uh, say, "You want take take a sniff of that, and then you want to take a sip." And you know, as a kid, you say, "No, yeah. I don't want that." And uh, now I'm uh, willingly drinking it. All right, let's just All shoot right, it. Cheers. All right, cheers. Thanks, Nick. Happy punchkis. Oh God, that's horrible. Wow, it just tastes like. Amontillado that's been microwaved. Yeah, that's that's bad. Yeah, that was that was a bad idea. My bad on that one, guys. <laughs> Onward and upward. Let's eat some th- punchkis. Thanks, yeah. Nick. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for nothing. Uh, let's start with the Parks and Rec. Yeah. Um, well, can we can we uh, before we start with the Parks and Rec for people who might not have. Uh, a clue about what the Punchy significance is, of Poonchi is. that a, is it not a national thing? Hamtramck. I'm not sure. That's why I'm curious. So, I just want to. Like, I know that okay. St. Patrick's Day is only in Detroit, right? But like. No. Oh, it's. No, yeah. No, of course it's not. it's not. No, yeah. Right, you're right. Yeah. That's a. Uh, yeah. More. It's a big thing in Chicago. They no, I'm just guessing. Yes. I know. Oh, I know it's oh, St. Yeah, Patrick's yeah, Day. Yeah. Um, th- this is more of a. Uh, I read an article a day or two ago. Um, it's a Midwest thing. Okay. Um, hmm. Michigan, Ohio. Indiana, maybe, uh, definitely Michigan and Ohio, um, because of the concentration of Polish. Polish. Yep, I can say Poland <laughs> because Polish. there it is. Um, so uh, th- th- traditionally, uh, from what I understand, it's uh, you know, flour, uh, some type of f- fruit filling, uh, fried and lard, yeah. you know, and then however you form the fl- the the donut itself. So uh, it is yeast. a donut. Well, I mean, I don't, every punchki is a donut, I'll, but every donut I'll, is not a punchki. No, see, that that's work? the thing. I don't actually know if that's true. We probably should have looked into this, but they they always seem to be to me to be a little bit more dense hmm. and like more of a biscuity kind of thing than a light and fluffy donut per se. Yeah, there's nothing light and fluffy about it. I mean, no. this, this we're going into um, tomorrow's Ash Wednesday if you're Catholic. And, you're gonna uh, wake up with bricks in your stomach. Yeah, truly. And, and th- this is like the, the kind of indulge last indulgence before Lent. Um, I see. And so, uh, traditional, like, uh, traditionally this is the way to like kind of, uh, fry everything up. Um, right. Purge your, up. purge your kitchen of all of your, of all of your, uh, things you shouldn't be eating during Lent. Right. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so you fry, you get all your goodies, your How lard, can I fry your sugar. Mountain Dew, though? Well, it's, <laughs> it's unfriable. That's the beauty of Mountain Dew, I think. Well, there, I think there's deep fried Mountain Lasts Dew at forever. the Texas State Fair or something like that. <laughs> Um, tickets being booked as we speak. Oh <laughs> so also, uh, there are places in Hamtramck, uh, this is, this is a big party day, um, as, as, um, Americans are wont to do with these type of, uh, holidays. Um, there are places that serve punchki bombs, uh, which are, uh, punchkis 
filled with the, the custard or jam that's in them already and also booze. Wow. Um, we totally blew We missed it. the ball on that one. What the fuck? Um, I, I don't, 2018, so, Moms. So I, I, uh, a couple years ago uh, at Smalls, uh, had a couple of those back when uh, hard hard luck candy hard luck, vodka yeah. was a thing. Yeah. Um, and Mike, uh, Mike, the owner of Smalls, is, uh, was one of the uh, owners of hard luck. And um, they did a root beer vodka and custard punchki combination mm. and uh it, it was interesting i guess mm, yeah um but uh I, I don't know what these other places are doing obviously hard luck's no longer around um and uh i didn't see the coney island was doing a uh, punchki hot dog oh, coney yeah. combo yep that, that which coney wait where uh, coney? American. american oh boy yep um that was a uh a plain punchki. Uh, it was glazed though, uh, and it had a hot, uh, hot dog, chili, onions, Ugh. mustard. Um, the the only person, the only, only live review I saw I saw today or heard today was Ryan uh, Hooper on uh, WDT, and his consensus was that it should have never happened. Um, only in America, there is a place in uh, Roseville, uh, Lazy Bone Smokehouse, that does a bacon maple punchki. Now that I could get behind, and that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. it is. Like it that. is. They they house smoke their bacon. They uh, and they just roll roll glaze the thing in maple, and they roll it in bacon, like a candied bacon type of thing. And you can get custard filled or plain. And um, I, I won't. A couple of years ago, I uh, took some of their brisket and cut the punchki in half, put the brisket on top, or in, you know, as a sandwich. And that was not a bad idea. Either. I respect that. I yeah. respect that. I like it. Innovation. That's it's all about. Yeah. It's like years Maybe. later, years later, you don't remember how you felt the next day. <laughs> right. So it's like, that was a great idea, but I bet right. you were suffering the next yeah, day. I have a lot of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So these flavors from Parks and Rec, uh, the, these are what would fall into a category of like, uh, artisanal, artisanal punchkis <laughs> or, uh, or, yeah. you know, does it even need to be more done? derogatory hipster punchkis? I guess you would say. Um, so, uh, Dave, you already tried this. Uh, yeah, it's s- okay. It's okay. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a roll with some custard in it. That, um, that's the way it was kind of described. Yeah. I don't know. The texture is more like a bagel. Yeah, I mean, it's it? like it's, it's like weird. A, yeah, it's like a stiff roll. It's weird. Yeah. Um. So, the first thing I can tell you, as I bite into each of these, um. Is that they're they're not fresh. Well, <laughs> right. Well, um, but I mean, uh, not not even today's. Uh, which is a uh, shame. Oh, you think they made them yesterday? I don't know. Wow. Um, just a scandal com- coming from the bi- coming from a you Jason. Know, call your girlfriend. Acroids. Call oh, your lady friend. Um, full disclosure. Or maybe fuck, they were made early, very right early now. this morning. Um, <clears throat> we, this this isn't going live tonight. So, hmm. um, yeah, no, they don't they don't taste true. like that. I mean, they taste like they're they're a day old. I mean, um, maybe they they were made twenty years ago. I mean, they, they had them all weekend, so mm. who knows? Doesn't matter. They still they t- they have a decent flavor, and they're much different than any other punch you've ever had. Sure. Um, I kind of I I like that cocoa nib, cocoa nib, whatever. Uh, you know, crusting there. Yeah, definitely. I, I'd like to try these fresh. Yeah, I, I like the my, concept. Uh, yeah, of the, the lemon cream with the poppy seed because it's like a lemon. It's like a lemon poppy seed muffin flavor profile. Just sort of deconstructed and reconstructed as a punchki. Um, I like saying the word punchki a lot. It's yeah. fun. Um, 
Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I like the chocolate one the best yeah. myself. Yeah, um, that's got the best. It's got a good flavor for a while. Um, the the uh, not a big fan of the cinnamon one, uh, the cinnafetti. Um, but yeah, and the le- the lemon poppy seed would be good the, the, if they were right out of the fryer. I can imagine they were pretty uh, pretty tasty. pretty righteous. Yeah. You know? Um, so these uh, uh other ones these are these are more traditional. Um, the, I guess this bakery's been in operation for about fifty years. Uh, over in Warrendale and, um, they, uh, do them in the traditional way. Uh, not saying that Parks and Rec didn't, these are, you know, fried and lard. Um, the, uh, the filling, obviously the fillings look, uh, it looks kind of, uh, a little bit more generous with the fillings. Yeah. More generous and, uh, kind of like falling apart. They look good though. So, Mm. That's what I think of as a punchki. That's a punchki right there. That's um, yeah, yeah, as advertised. I di- I made it so far today, like so long. I didn't eat punchkis all day. And <laughs> here it is, punchy orgy. It's, it's all mm. of them right in you, right in right in your face. That berry one was worth the wait though for me. Was it? That was pretty good nice stuff. Well, I think the custard. That's what chocolate I was hoping. Was, yeah, that's what I was hoping for when I bit into the lemon one yeah. earlier. Yeah, because I that one wasn't good. You Punchy just don't like lemon. Like, you like lemon. I do not version like of the lemon. lemon. When I whether it's Skittles, I would always uh, mm. separate out the yellow Skittles. Um, yeah, I've never been a fan of lemon. So these are closer to donuts, though, right? Like, yeah, I don't I eat would a lot of donuts. So. But yeah, and and this is the this is the issue I always have with these things. It's like they, they they're just donuts to me, and I know that's probably gonna, that's probably a dumb thing to say, but um, I don't eat a lot of donuts. I, I, I don't know which came first, the donut or the punch cake. Who knows? It's the timeless question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get with this. I mean, the holiday is called Fat Tuesday. I don't think it matters. Yeah, you're probably right. It's like this is like Dad bod holiday right now, which is why I'm enjoying it. Ooh, I see all that lemon, and I'm just like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't. Apricot lemon? You want any of that? I'll, Um, I'll try the apricot. So I, I mean, uh, I'm, um, I'm uh, underwhelmed uh, by all of this. Um, but good thing there's rum. (laughs) Good thing we're drinking. Uh, Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so it it seemed like to me, like just looking on Facebook today, like the cool thing to do this year was hate poonchkis. Um, Oh really? uh, Yeah. People people were just everything. It was like poonchkis are disgusting was like probably the three most, um, used words today I've saw through on my Facebook feed. And, um, like anything, uh, you know, if you, if you like them, great. Go for it. Um, are they disgusting? I, I don't think so. They're, they they obviously have a purpose. People love them. There wouldn't be a hundred people in line at New Palace if they there wasn't some enjoyment. Um, Kids these days, right? But you know there, there are you know it, there is that news story this week about um, the the whole well done steak and ketchup. Um, that that in my mind, uh, you know, I, I'm all about personal preference. I, I'm okay with that. You know, punchies go fall in line with personal preference. People seem to love them. Um, I can't get behind a well done steak with ketchup on it. Well, maybe if you're eating Trump steaks, you have to make them cook them well done. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I, I'm floating the idea. Well, maybe the steak is of such poor quality that you don't ever want to dare eat it rare. Oh, so like a, there's like a warning label on it or something. Probably. Yeah. Like microwave only. <laughs> Best with Heinz. I don't I'm not sure. This that, is just speculation. That could totally be the case. I I mean, I I read another uh, heard Well, when you say Heinz, isn't that uh uh What's the other sauce? Uh, 57? 
Well, Heinz ketchup. No, there's ketchup. There's Heinz fifty. There's a bunch of Heinz. Yeah, flavors, fifty-seven. But, yeah, there's yeah. yeah. But he, oh, he's, yeah, he's it's like re, you know, figure out you know any Heinz product. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just again <laughs> shooting from the hip here. And there's another story where he where uh, or Trump ordered a uh, bone-in ribeye, well done, which. Um, Anyone who's ever been in a kitchen what knows, a yeah, that, that 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 takes time. That takes a lot of time to cook. You just don't do that in terms of like ba- backing up a kitchen. I don't care who you are. Um, personal preference aside on all of that, like order. he's probably used to the fact that you know he can walk into his own like the kitchen that serves him, the kitchen in the Trump hotels caters to him, so he probably doesn't recognize that because they're gonna drop everything and make a. a bone-in ribeye well done right i mean yeah yeah i mean probably doesn't excuse the uh the choice but yeah and then the whole ketchup i I don't like ketchup as a general rule um i think it's the probably the worst condiment um for my for my taste um so slathering a steak in it just seems all kinds of all kinds of wrong and upsetting and um sadly not surprising (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, considering the source, and I don't mean to be, you know, you know, bordering on political or whatever, whatever. I mean, I would, I would shake my head at anyone that was, uh, yeah, slathering a well done steak and yeah, ketchup. A, yeah, and he probably eats at pretty good restaurants that can afford some pretty good steak too. You know, I well, don't know. Yeah, and, and there's there, there's an article about uh, being risk averse. So this is this is an issue of like, just just before I came here, I ate some kibbeh at, at a local Syrian restaurant. I, I, which is raw lamb, raw lamb, basically. yes. Right. Um, you know, mixed with vegetables and uh, right. spices. Uh, I grew up with it. Um, I see no risk in eating. Um, there may be a passing brief moment when I go like to the restaurant I went to tonight, El El Chabab. It was very good. Um, was we were the only people in there. Um, and there's a brief moment. It's like, well, second guess yourself for a yeah. second. How much have they gone through? Right. How fresh is it? But he was very. The owner was very happy to make it and very it's like mine's the best and i said let me try it um and it was fantastic Hmm. uh and and the risk the aversion to risk that i have and when it comes to food is very minimal i think probably you guys are similar on a similar path i eat raw chicken all the time i always get sick but sometime (laughs) sooner or later (laughs) it's gonna be worth it there's a my strange addiction about that about this bodybuilder only eats raw chicken really so weird horrible yeah yeah. No, um, but I grew up eating kibbeh as well, and it's just like, I mean, done right, it's just perfect. You know, yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah. So, so like the the idea of risk aversion or like not trying new things doesn't compute with me, right? Um, whereas uh, other people that tend to order stuff well done have have a sense that um, eating it well done, therefore, kills any sense of uh. uh pathogen or anything yeah. that could be living there even on a medium, medium well or medium you know yeah it's almost like that the analysis of trump as like uh he's like his childish like he's stuck in this like childish thing like isn't that like when you're a kid you want a steak that's like well done with ketchup no yeah. is that just me i mean it does sound like uh something a child would order but i don't know my brother used to always eat well done stuff with ketchup so i'm just wondering if it's a throwback to like when you were kids yeah when you're a kid like because like how many things that you don't like when you're a kid and then you grow to uh, i hated onions when i was a kid i love onions now you know 
Um, You're a big onion guy. I'm a big onion guy. (laughs) Huge with onions. Onions. (laughs) Onions. I love them. Yeah, I just throwing it out there. I hear that. It is kind of a childish sort of order. And so is the idea of not, you know, taking risks with food. I mean, I'm not saying like be risky, but, you know, like be adventurous, like try something new. Don't microwave your steak. Yeah, there's, you know, there, there's certain levels of risk that people take. Uh, this past summer, we had a uh, eating insects symposium. Yeah, at Wayne State. I didn't go to that. How was it? It was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it was it wasn't for uh, call it like a, a layman. Um, it was very much like academic and academically focused and um, industry focused. So yeah. like, uh, the, the insect industry itself. Um, but uh the the ability to try to to have to taste these things and to kind of see where uh where all this could go is pretty amazing the the um the sustainability of it and the ability sure. to feed more people sure um is incredible uh and um right now the stuff is still very expensive um like i think a pound of cricket flour pasta is almost $15 which isn't yeah. affordable i i ordered a couple of uh pounds of powdered cricket um, for use in a drink, I was going to do it in like, a, uh, like on the rim as a margarita, but it, and it's like full of protein, mm-hmm. like it's crazy, the amount of protein, but it really tastes like shit is the and only smelled problem. smelled even worse. Smelled even worse. When you got it up to your, up to your mouth there, you were like, wow, yeah. I really don't want to drink this. Which is weird because my only, uh, another experience I had, we had the Oaxaca Mezcal ah, yeah. guy come in from, uh, so Oaxaca, it's a brand of Mezcal, Mezcal is made in Mexico, it's an agave spirit. Um, the owner founder came to Detroit to, uh, test his product, uh, for all the bartenders, but he served them. He had these like toasted, uh, crickets that were like powdered in Cajun. So you're supposed to like taste the spirit and have a, a cricket, like a fried cricket that had been uh, powdered with Cajun. So I was like, I tried it. It was not as bad as what the powdered cricket was. Nowhere, actually nowhere near as bad as the powder creek was. But going back to your point, many of the people there did not want to step into that. Yeah. Nope, not not trying to eat a cricket. They wouldn't yeah. even, because it was, yeah. it was a whole cricket. That yeah, they, just, the, just that paradigm of like, this is an insect and that's not natural, even though it is for so many people. But the idea that it's like, I'm eating an insect. So a lot of risk-averse people there. But they had just presented it as, this is a complimentary thing, a uh, complimentary flavor to the mezcal and... It was, it was a cool experience, but you know, mm. yeah. And, um, it was in Mexico, uh, in November and, uh, went to a restaurant that, um, served their guacamole with, uh, grasshoppers on top of it, mm. just a pile of fried grasshoppers on top. And, uh, once you get past the visual, it just tastes yeah, that like, sounds, that sounds all right. I mean, it's, it yeah. probably just tastes like chips. Yep. Like exactly. Really there. Yep. Mm. And, uh, mm. insects were very common. In uh, Mexican restaurants, um, there was a couple of mezcalerias we went to that uh, that had insects on the menu. Um, just served like like an appetizer platter. It was like a pile of mealworms or whatever on the plate. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there's no kind of risk aversion or like any type of aversion to the using insects in a kitchen there. Um, yeah, like you said, it's a cheap source of protein. Yeah. Um, and it takes on the flavor whatever you cook it with, kind of like tofu. And billions of people eat them every day. Hmm. Right. Other, I'm going to other Cuba than us. I'm interested to see. Maybe eat all I'll the bugs some, in Cuba. Eat all the Cuban bugs. Cuban bugs. Boom. Boom. There it is. Perfect. Lisa's going to love it. Yeah. You got your whole meal planned out. Just straight bugs. 
I'm into it. I'm excited. Cost effective. Uh, so, um, Fat Tuesday, Poonchkis we ate. Um, there, there uh, other, you know, if, if you got from Fat Fat Tuesday, there's um some people eat pancakes. Really? Mm. Eat the, yep. They uh, that's that's a big this pancake dinners at a lot of uh, a lot of churches. Um, that's a cheap way to feed a lot of people. Um. What else? So, so now we have, and so now because you give up um, meat as well for Lent, people give up meat. We have um, fish fries on Friday until St. Patrick's Day, or until Easter. 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 I'm sorry, I get those confused. <laughs> um, I'm not good with the holidays. <laughs> but uh, so, like the Gaelic League, have you been to the fish fry at the Gaelic League? I have not been to the so Gaelic. League. Basically, every fri- starting this Friday yeah. until Easter. Every Friday they have a fish fry and you get, you know, fish and chips and it's like seven bucks or something. And it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it is really, really good. So there is a, um, there is a space, I think that maybe we can do a little, uh, research ourselves. Um, there are many fish fries and that's, it's a pretty big, I don't know if that's a Midwestern thing too, but, uh, churches and, uh, uh, VFWs. Yeah. 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 Um, so start with the Gaelic League and then search out a few other ones and see. Sounds like, that sounds like a pretty good plan. I like that idea because Fridays. personally I'm a huge fish and chips guy. And it's if you love fish and chips, it's very difficult to find good fish and chips. Yeah. I'm totally down to eat my way through the fish and chip scene. Been to Scotty Simpson? Oh, yeah. I have. Phenomenal. Yeah. Not as good when you take it out, but what is? Right. I mean, I think that's obvious. That's a stupid thing to say. It's obvious with fish and chips. Like you got to eat it right there when it's piping hot, you know, otherwise the breading and the whole thing. But that place is amazing. Yeah, it's been around for many decades, yeah. and um, they can do consistently good, good food. Um, yeah, yeah you, you, you guys are right. You can't beat a good fish and chips. You can't. I worked at a place when I was younger, uh, Primo's Pizza in Livonia, Seven Mile in Farmington. Great pizza. Great pizza, great ribs. I mean, this guy was, uh, you know, first-generation Italian. His mother, he came over on the boat. His mother used to, until she just passed away in the last year, would... 90 something years old, four or five days a week, be in the restaurant, cutting lettuce, talking about how she fought the Germans off with a pitchfork. You know, the, my boss, Dominic, uh, super humble guy, you know, worked all the time, wasn't afraid to do anything, wash dishes, make amazing pizzas, but they always made this amazing fish. So Lent Fridays, I mean, people would wait in line. Like Primo's is a seven mile Farmington. You would think it was like an AMC movie theater. People would be waiting down the block, around the line, like people waiting like fifty minute pickup for fish and chips. That's you know? amazing. I know he had a, he had a good thing going, but the fish was really really fantastic. So I don't know. Oh, I'm I talking gotta, myself into going out there. I hear you. I got to plug on this John's fish and chips. Boom. Man, Anton's I mean, killing it. Anton, that, is that, I'm, it. I'm saying this is some of the best best fish and chips in the city. Like I'll put that on the line. Like that is it is legitimately excellent fish and chips. Anton's killing for it. like twelve bucks. What are you guys doing there? He's doing a cod, cod, and it's just, it's flaky, it's light, The you know, he's got a beer, IPA beer batter, it's just phenomenal, man, it's so good. The coleslaw is really good, they make the coleslaw in-house, which yep. for me, you know, fish and chips involves coleslaw, and yeah. you have that, so. He does the coleslaw, he does a house remoulade, he does, um, you know, the, 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 I mean, it's just great, I just, it's so good. He does, he uses two-hearted in the batter, actually, it's really nice. That's awesome. Shameless plug. Sorry. Shameless plug. But I'm, nope, you know, sorry. even even if it wasn't, I, I just. It's good. You know, yeah. Even if I w- wasn't one of my places, like, it's just great fish and chips. 
Uh, all right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back, talk about some booze, and then talk about some history. Some stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Junk. drinking tonight guys all right so uh besides the uh really fantastic uh sherry that we've already some of the best sherry i've had this hour is it italian is it swiss is it american not the best you know some of the best besides that um now that our pumps are primed (laughs) swiss sherry (laughs) fuck yes we're gonna get into uh you know we've been we've been hitting the whiskey hard uh up to this point uh, which is great. We love whiskey. Uh, but rum is another uh, category spirit that we're really into. It's so hot so right now. it's pretty hot right now. It's going to get hotter. So uh, one of the, we've got this uh, really interesting, fantastic bottle. Uh, as we talked about before, we went to uh, Kentucky last month in January, pick a Four Roses barrel. While we were down there, we did some liquor store shopping because the liquor stores, uh, Michigan's a liquor control state. So unfortunately, we don't often get some of the really cool shit that you can get in uh, other markets, Chicago, uh, Kentucky. So the Party Source is uh, one of the big Kentucky uh, chain stores. They've got a bunch of, you can find Party Sources all over Kentucky, really great stores. They had uh, some rum, Plantation Rum. Plantation is a really fantastic brand. It's being put out by Pierre Ferran. This is uh, a rum specifically sourced from Panama, uh, it's a single cask that the party source had picked out, an eight-year-old rum, uh, six years aged in the Caribbean, six years aged in uh, ex-bourbon casks, uh, two years aged in Pierre Fran casks, and finished in some, what is the red Pinot? Uh, like a Pinot, like a Pinot, Pinot. Not, not Pinot Noir, but not like a Pinot Pin- Noir. Pinot de Charente. There you go. P-I-N-E-A-U. There it is. Is the variety. So this is again uh, something varietal? That the party, varietal. I'm not good right with word. that word. Yeah, I think it's the varietal. But anyway, so it's nice. It's nice, Panama. It's so nice. we'll put some more stuff up about it uh, that you can find some for more information on uh, on all the relevant social medias. But uh, let's see. What do you guys think, Joe? I'll let you take out this bottle. I mean, these guys are basically like killing it in terms of the rum game. Yeah. They're, they're uh, most of their just their their baseline products are fantastic. They had the Stiggins, which was the pineapple rum, which was the light rum aged with uh, pineapple, and then the dark rum aged with the skins of pineapple, and then blended, which just 
totally killed it last year. And Tales of the Cocktail, Spirit of the Year. Spirit of the Year. Like Everybody that. loved it. I mean, you know. The ev- Pineapple Dack is like Pineapple a Pineapple Dack back in full of force, in full effect. Um, and then they came up with the OFTD, which is the old-fashioned traditional dark, but actually stands for, oh, fuck, that's delicious, which is their overproof dark rum, which is phenomenal. Coming in at like a whopping 138 yeah. or something ridiculous. Something just gnarly, wow. yeah. yeah. Yeah, really intense. It's like a dark deep molasses yeah um, and it, I mean, it's got an incredible flavor is the whole thing you know I mean, you, you can get your your um, black seal 151s and things like that gosling's 151s but you know there's no real flavor there i mean it's just it's just all burn and that oftd is amazing and then so we saw this at uh, party source and you know we picked up a couple some of the bottles of it and some of their other expressions just really really great stuff i mean basically negotiant rum right like they're buying from producers or they're buying from someone that had the had the barrels but uh but there's really not a lot nice of companies stuff. that, I mean, what are your other options for exploring? So if you think about the category of rum, we all know, obviously, there's the, the spice rums, you know, Captain Morgan's, uh, whatever that is. And then even if you get into some of the better rums, you know, Venezuelan rum, uh, French rum, Martinique. But, like, they're picking out some rums of that you can't really get in other places, totally. you know? Yeah, totally. Panera, Nick Wy- I've, I've seen their single cast series is uh, really, really dialing down into some of these Caribbean countries that other producers aren't putting out. So it's really interesting to kind of get a sense of what the rum landscape is there. Yeah, and I think that rum is going to be the next sort of hot spirit in general. I mean, you know, it's one of the few that you can still get like a 20-year-old rum for less than 50 bucks. Yeah. What that 20 years means is another thing. So what do you think, Joe? Are, so are you saying like they're, they're they're taking a chance on these like on on these uh, on their sources? Like I wouldn't there... say they're taking a chance. I just think that they're going they're sort they're visiting these places, picking barrels of rum that I feel like don't haven't traditionally seen the light of day in America. Like this rum probably was sold dirt cheap in that country, or I'm not sure exactly where else it would have ended up. But Dave, maybe you could speak to this a little bit better. But in the last five years, like. Where would you have seen a Panamanian rum single cask? You know, no, what it's, market? Like, I, you you wouldn't. It's very unique. I mean, it's uh, yeah. So these guys aren't. I mean, they they, they know what they're doing, right? They've got this oh, great yeah. rum brand, and they're going down to these various islands, places, and they're saying like, let me, you know, let me buy all the rum that you've got, and then they're packaging it and selling it, and you know, I'm sure making a boatload of money as well. But they are bringing like Panamanian rum. I I don't think I've ever had a Panamanian rum. Some of the countries have really distinct profiles in terms of the rum. Some of them are a little bit closer together. Um, I would put this in the latter in that it is a very lovely, sweet rum. It's not exactly like, oh my god, I've never had anything like this. It, it's just a great, just a great rum. You know, the the smell it smells like bananas Foster to me. Boom, bananas Boom, Foster. There it is. Um, and I don't. Is that? Did you say that? Ah, uh, no. That was oh. a, that's a recurring. Uh, yeah. A theme with uh, we we had some whiskey that we were going to call Bananas Foster at Four Roses because oh. it smelled like Bananas Foster. Oh, really? So yeah. this is something that the so it's it, it's it, unrelated, uh, unrelated. It's I, unrelated, I think, but banana is a uh, is a uh, okay. So like thing. so like um like wheat beers, right? Yeah, smell like banana and clove. Yep, which is an affectation of the yeast. Yep. So the same is true carries over into whiskey as well. So some producers that use yeast or don't maybe treat their yeast correctly can have that banana smell into their whiskey or into their vodka as it were. And we had a, we go to, we went to four roses and 
we had this phenomenal whiskey and Four Roses knows what they're doing, but we had one that smelled like bananas in a very good way and we were going to buy it and call it Bananas Foster, but we decided that people would think it was too weird. Yeah, I mean, th- this this is very pleasant. Like, there's no sense of, like, it being cloying or, I don't know, not taken care of properly. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. It's great rum. One of the yeah. things about rum, uh, to your point, is that a lot of rum is a really undervalued category in terms of price. Uh, you can get a very high quality relative to the price where bourbon, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, um, you know, the category is exploding. People are chasing. Uh, the price is uh, rising astronomically. So, you know, uh, to Dave's point that rum, you can still find a lot of value in the quality versus the price. So that's one of the reasons why we're kind of like really staying on top of this and trying to, you know, experiment or try these new things. Unfortunately, Michigan, like I said before, is a liquor control state. So we don't always get to try um, a lot of the new products on the market. So we're super excited whenever we, ch- whenever we get a chance to travel to pick up things that other markets are getting ahead of ours and uh, super cool products. So, Yeah, one of the problems with rum is that by and large it's deregulated or it's not, it's not the regulations aren't strictly enforced. So it's like I think the legal U- U.S. definition is like anything made from sugar or a sugar byproduct that tastes or smells like rum. So it like defines itself in its definition. It's just totally absurd. Wow. It's really loose. And so what that means is, you know, you can have rums that have coloring added, flavor added. You can't have that with bourbon. Any any American whiskey standard is like they, there can basically be nothing in it unless you disclose it. Um, and so with rum, you can call it rum and it could be brand new distilled, but colored and flavored in a certain way, and you can still call it rum. So it's a little bit of a difficult category, and you really have to drink a lot of rum and understand rum to know what you're sort of dealing with. Uh, But, you know, at the same time, it's still a value category. So uh, at Bad Luck, you guys have that that old... uh, The Admiral, the the Flagon, yeah. So that's rum, right? It is rum. And and that is a... Explain what that is. Well, so that was the uh, that's the the infamous eighty dollar cocktail, soon to be uh, extinct eighty six dollar cocktail. Uh, get it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> heard. Get heard. It. Heard. Boom. Right, behind. Uh, so uh, anyway, so that that is uh, for a certain period of time, um, the pro- the British Royal Navy used to uh, ration each sailor upon their their voyage um, a flagon of rum, which is a four and a half liter ceramic vessel wrapped in wicker and uh inside it was a blend of rums and so we've gotten uh three different flagons uh from england and they're the contents are a blend of rums from um trinidad jamaica and demerara uh between five and 14 years old and so this is five and 14 years old aged in a barrel and they're blended and then put in the flagon and so um the 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 youngest one we have was in the flagon since 1970 so these are really 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 old rums the good news is the ceramic protects the rum um i think better than there's no evaporation it's sealed with wax there's no evaporation so of anything it's just i mean the, the flavors in there are just marrying and concentrating uh it's phenomenal stuff the wicker prevents any sort of sun light 
Uh, well, the cera- here's what I think. The ceramic, it's a ceramic vessel, right? Mm-hmm. Like an old, think of an old milk jug, like a ceramic milk jug. So there's no light getting into it. There's a cork and then there's wax on top. So there's no air getting in or out. And then I think they wrapped it in the wicker so they're not breaking. Hmm. So it's the, the wicker was kind of like you could hang it. They could bump together and they wouldn't crack. If you had a bunch of ceramic vessels next what? to each other, they would probably crack. So I think the ceramic was, or the wicker was more of a functional hmm. thing. There's sort of handles on them, easier to carry as well. Um, but it's it's phenomenal stuff, and so we've actually gone through now two flagons, and we're on to our third, which is our last flagon, and probably the last one we'll ever get. Um, how do you, how do you source something like that? Well, we I work with a spirits broker out of England, um, and so these came came about through him, um, and so so you're the only only place in the world that has it. No, there there are other people that have so so um um House Alpins, which is a spirits importer, um, they sell this stuff and they, they buy flagons and they bottle it and it's called the black tot or the last consignment because it was the last consignment from nineteen seventy. So there exists uh, a fair amount of probably the last few years. So we're under the impression that the first flagon that we had and the second flagon that we had are both from the nineteen seventies or from nineteen seventy. And the last one we have is probably from 1950, and wow. it it is unbelievable. I mean, the the last one that we have is is better than the first two. There, it's just incredible. I thought the first one was magnificent. The second one was great, not as good as the first one. We sold through both of those, so I think uh, next week we're probably gonna pull out the third one. But my my initial taste of it was just it's just incredible. So, and again, not like what we're drinking now. I mean, dark, dark like uh, you know a bourbon like really intensely intensely dark and dry not a residual residual sweetness at all um just funky and dry and uh, it's just a really unique spirit so i i feel like this is a good segue into talking about like our backgrounds and um and the reason i say that is because when when you when we're talking about an 80 dollar drink there has to be some type of cachet that is behind you that um that you bring to the table to to be able to demand of a of a consumer demand eighty dollars from a consumer for a drink yeah um so you start with sugar house um and uh what how does the progression happen from sugar house to bad luck in terms of like the the restaurant sequence i mean not even not even like going or the step by step yeah well yeah so okay so sugar house was basically sandy the oakland and sugar house were the first two cocktail bars in metro detroit that were like we're doing this we're going we're going straight cocktail nerd with this shit and a lot of great places have opened since then um, most of your your new restaurants open and they have a cocktail program um, joe uh, at uh, standby and the skip is doing really cool progressive stuff and so for me to open another all of our places that we have have great cocktail programs i mean it's all you know, all originates with the sugar house guys. They're all pretty much um, the same, you know, the same techniques, the same standards. So for us to look at bad luck, we said, what are we trying to do? We're trying to compete on now, not be like, Hey, Detroit, this is what a craft cocktail is. Cause everybody knows that now we're trying to say like, Hey, United States, Hey, the rest of the world, Detroit can do some legitimately next level shit. And, you know, along the lines of uh, Nightjar in England or the Aviary in Chicago or 
uh, old lightning in LA and, and doing some really progressive stuff. And that was, that was the, that was the, uh, motivation behind it. And on a business level, it's like, I, if I open another cocktail bar, people are going to be like, Oh, great. There's another bar. But if we, if the lead story is there's an $80 drink, which is the first drink in the menu, that is noteworthy. And that is what people, I mean, that's what got all the attention. Wasn't an accident. I mean, you know, I knew like gives people something to talk about, right? So that was sort of the the motivation behind that. Um. So uh, all all of these um, all of your restaurants fall under bars. Restaurants fall under the Detroit Optimist Society. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what what is the tell 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 me about that? The DOS. It's it, Detroit Optimist Society. It's almost. It's not really a parent company. It's and it's not really a nonprofit. It just employs uh, four people at this point. One of which is Jason, who's here with us now, who's our director of marketing or celebration specialist, as he prefers. Or like vice president of brand and lifestyle. Or yeah, something. that's cool. It doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> vice president of lifestyle and branding. Yeah. What? How about you know, that? In celebration. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. Something better. Could just be like a whatever. Yeah. Tra- uh, John Trasky, who used to run. Um, the Kellogg Center at MSU is our director of operations. So uh, all the all the general managers at all the properties answer to Trasky, and Trasky and I work together, and Jason and I work together. Trasky's more of our you know front of the house hospitality service guy that's sort of running the show and working with all the managers. Uh, Liz Cosby, who um, is helping us, is uh, fantastic. She's president of the USBG Detroit. Mm-hmm. And uh, runs our commissary, so that's you know centrally our new central operation that handles all of our sir- you know syrups, bitters, and then some of the chefs do ice. work there, ice things like that. And then we just hired a young man who is uh, sort of our internal market, uh, internal graphics design guy. Um, so we're sort of growing that you know um, naturally, just to kind of help. We're probably going to bring on a financial controller soon that will help with some of the. Uh, financial bullshit, which I sort of do right now, is very boring. So, when when you opened Sugar House, was this part of the vision? No, not really. I mean, I thought Sugar House, I would just tend bar for the rest of my life. Um, Why he thought that, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, I hate bartending. Oh my God, it's so bad. I'm so bad at it too. I'm awkward, especially like in a service capacity. It's a social anxiety. It's a social anxiety. Absolutely. Totally. I'm the first to admit it. I'm really bad at dealing with people on like a customer basis. It's just fucking horrible. (laughs) And I end up feeling so out of my element that I'm just like crawling out of my skin. So, you know, five years in, I've, you know, got all these places and realized this is really not my forte. So fortunately, I. (laughs) have surrounded myself with people that are better um than than me at dealing with other people so so as long as you can avoid the public yeah things are okay with yeah you. yeah pretty much <laughs> i'm great at hospitality as long as i don't have to talk to anybody yeah no i, I don't know it's a weird thing but you know I, I enjoy i love the um i love the execution of the concept and i love i love what I think is like contributing to the city in terms of uh, bettering our food and beverage or not bettering is is um, is obnoxious, but but just improve just just trying to like push the envelope of our food and beverage options. You know, like we're a real city. Detroit is is on the comeback like we're on the rebound. There's no denying that. And I think that because I'm a great eater and drinker, I can contribute to the city by increasing our food and drink options and trying to push that, that envelope a little further. 
And that's basically my mandate. I'm I'm not I'm not going to be your guy glad handing you at your table or anything like that. I don't even want to be seen. Um, but I do want to like bring new concepts to light. So I was going to ask you. So you don't you're not one that jumps from place to place on a given night and only if I'm like there to drink. Yeah. Okay. No, I I really don't. I mean, I spend I I spend during operational hours. I spend very little time in the actual projects. Now, I mean, I spent the last two weeks putting a tin ceiling in Sugar House. You know, like with me and a couple of my guys. So I'm very hands-on in terms of the physical build-outs and the, all Jason and I do is, we, you know, we talk 20 times a day about marketing and direction and things like that. And so I'm dealing with my management team um, on a very hands-on basis, but I'm I'm not really the guy that's in the restaurant, in the restaurants all the time. So, so from the marketing side of things, Jason, so the, you're, you do the marketing for all all the places it's a it's an ongoing process but yeah essentially our the original conception of that was arose from this idea that as a bartender in the sugar house you know i looked around at the business and kind of said well we we track inventory we track revenue we've got systems in place for all these different aspects of the business and there's certainly no really vision or understanding or measurement or sort of like strategy around like the marketing is just kind of ad hoc and, you know, how are we approaching it? What does it mean? Why would we do it? And so um, I was just really at the time, you know, I really, really loved the sugar house. I still do love the sugar house, but like I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. I started working the sugar house because I was going to go back to school to study analytics uh, at U of M Dearborn. And um, so I, I had like a kind of like an IT job that I quit cause I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to, you know, do a master's in this. Um, I want a job that I can just kind of coast at, so to speak, you know, like be downtown, do whatever. I ran into my buddy, Scott Poole, who is now a bad luck, who was at Sugar House at the time. And he was like, Hey, you know, we can use some people at the Sugar House to bar back writing company. I think it just opened. So I was like, that's cool. I'm 35. I'll fucking bar back at, you know, at a restaurant or a bar in the city and I can focus on school. And what ended up happening was I came to really, you know, appreciate and respect all the people that work at the Sugar House. Um, had time to, over time, you know, have conversations with Dave and kind of really understood like the vision there and kind of, you know, the people at the Sugar House were not just what I would consider or what people that I'd gone to school with would consider as like the typical service industry, the perception of service industry is, um, you know, it's a catch-all for, like, the fuck-ups, right? And so, like, what I saw actually was, like, a group of highly, you know, motivated, really passionate people who took pride in their work and were working towards, you know, something, uh, you know, to better not just themselves but the city. So I'd actually gone into the Sugar House not that long before that, probably within six months before that, and... It was funny to me because I've been kind of fucking around the city since like the late 90s. I graduated high school in 1997 and moved down to Southwest and just, but didn't really keep track of what was going on. Just kind of like a neighborhood guy, you know? And so I was even surprised when I went to the sugar house and I'm like, wow, what is this? There's like eggs in my drink and like all this weird shit. I think Chuck Gellish actually was the guy that sold me a drink. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I've never, never really experienced anything like that. So that was really cool. And then when I got was to go Gellish there. there when you started? No, but I'm saying I went there before yeah, yeah, okay. just as like my yeah, first yeah. time as a consumer there. Yeah. A girl took me there. We were just like, oh, let's go somewhere. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. Like, 
I'll go here. And like, I didn't know what to expect. I'm the kind of guy who's like, I've been drinking Hennessy for basically since I've been drinking. Well, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. So I've earned that lifestyle. And so I've been drinking Hennessy for a long time. And so to me, to try something new, I'm open to try something new, but I walked in there and was like, wow, this is super cool. And then, you know, to work there and understand that what, what went behind it and then to talk to Dave over time. So that's kind of where it started was just this recognition of like, you know, this is something I'm interested in. And um, so we just started to kind of work from there. So um, it's really great. I actually, there was a point in time where I was like, okay, I've, I stopped taking these classes because the calculation for me was, you know, I'm paying money to go to this program, which I'm slaughtering. I mean, I was halfway through, it was like 4.0. I hated it. I thought the instructors were boring. The people I was with were like the classic. They're working like, not there's anything wrong with nine to five, but I didn't find them particularly interesting in what they were working on from nine to five. Um, and then I had an opportunity to kind of like work with Dave, which was, you know, uh, building businesses like in the city, like something that's growing, something that's interesting. You know, it's a really cool thing. So for me, it was uh, an easy decision, I guess. And always I could say after like six months, if I want to go back to school, I could go back to school. But it's just been a really great experience for me. So I just try to tackle, you know, projects, marketing, you know, celebration, shall we say. Um, so do you, do you plan all the part? So when Sugar House was renamed, uh, that, Bill, that, Bill. Was, that was my bad. Yeah. Oh, that was your bad. Yeah. Sometimes okay. I execute. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, Jason's a part of Jason's a part of like all of our marketing from sort of from high to low. Okay. Um, probably, too, probably you know, too much of his time is spent on some of the minutia that he shouldn't worry about. Actually, we ha- we have very 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 high level conversations on a daily basis about uh, you know branding and marketing, and then but he's also involved in like you know if we're having like an ice cream party. At, or an ice cream social at Sugar House and things like that. So it's sort of back and forth. No, the Bill Murray thing was my. I was just drunk one night and I was like, it would be hilarious. You know, we're trying to we we're trying to like increase the levity, right? Like, sh- like cocktail bars are pretentious. Cocktail bars are pretentious. Read, go to any single PDT varnish, milk and honey, any single bar in the country, and read their Yelp, and you're gonna see the word pretentious come up over and over and over again. Now that we're past the idea, now that we're past this whole thing of like everybody knows what a cocktail bar is, how can we make it more just a bar that has good quality drinks? And so my, because we changed the menu up, my concept was like, let's just be stupid and do a Bill Murray themed menu. And then that train of thought led to the whole Bill Murray thing, which was just kind of like, let's just be totally silly. Yeah. And, but, you know, again, to try to disarm, you know, people and and disassociate the pretension because it's not that way you know you come in and like we try to offer excellent hospitality excellent drinks at you know very reasonable prices and so that's that was sort of the the reason behind that whole thing and we so don't blame up with don't the, blame jason we really, and we followed it up with a pretty awesome uh prohibition uh yeah. tray menu that yeah. uh you know regrounded but that's the thing i just want to say too following up on what i was saying is like the cool thing about it as dave said before is like you know, we go to, we have our like Tuesdays, our manager, like uh, high, higher level management. And it's like, we sit in a room and, you know, I started off as a bar back at the sugar house and the projects that I could work on. And, you know, Chuck, who is the managing partner, um, you know, the Peter bro, he's, uh, was like the assistant general manager of sugar house. 
um, you know, as Dave mentioned, like we're bringing on a graphic designer, we're bringing on different people. And to me, that's what's really exciting the most about like the city and its growth and seeing the opportunities. I mean, one of the things that I really try to work on is creating opportunities for myself and others. That's like a big thing, which is why I really enjoy working with Dave because I think he has the same goal. And, and not only is it a goal, but we, I see it day to day. So like, you know, we day in and day out are working hard and having results of people are better off. So that's, that's a really cool thing. Like, like you said, optimistic about Detroit. It, it sounds it. like there's like a, uh, the, 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 with the, the people, with the, the jobs um, that you guys are providing, there's more of an a career arc rather than the, the, the regular old, uh, I'm going to work someplace for six months and then leave. I feel like there's more of a learning curve if you get a job at say sugar house or I mean, any, any of your places to be honest. It's a learning curve, but it's also like, I think the learning curve is also for us as an organization, right? So like we're learning as we go. I, like Dave said, five years ago when he opened the sugar house, you asked him, he didn't really conceptualize like this is a, as it is existing right now. And like, there's no shortage of projects to work on. So, I mean, that's the exciting part about it. Like every, every week it's like, we're learning as we grow. And totally. so yeah. we're creating these opportunities are coming uh, you know, are being produced and like, you know, my job is kind of in, it's cool. It's in flux. It's, it's like, we're still figuring out. We're just working it. We're just working. Like, that's a cool thing about it. I mean, we joke about like what the title is. I laugh about the title cause like it's marketing director or whatever. It could be anything, but like the bottom line is like, we're just working on things and like moving forward on all these different fronts, you know, and, and that's, what's exciting about it. But this, that we, that we are in a city that offers the opportunity right now um, which a lot of places, you know, don't have the same opportunity that we have. So we're in a really great situation right now and super excited about it. Well said. Woo! Can't agree. Can't disagree with that. Uh, all right. Sorry to jack the microphone. No, it's cool. You do you. Woo! Uh, so that's uh, the Sherry talking. <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, we Wait, will be, it. uh, be back next week, uh, with, uh, the guest and, uh, some, more discussion on food, beverage, and hospitality. Thanks for listening to Herd. Thanks, all. Thank you.